Welcome to The Alchemy of Business Show with your host, Steve Rogers. The Alchemy of Business Show is a podcast that mixes practical, actionable business solutions with soulful insights for anyone seeking deeper meaning in their lives and greater success in their work. Steve will be featuring purpose-driven leaders from all walks of life and getting insight into their journeys from failures to triumphs. So tune in to transition, transform, and evolve in every dimension of your business and life. And now your host of the Alchemy of Business show, Steve Rogers. Hello and welcome to the Alchemy of Business show. As we said in the intro, this is a show about helping others make wiser decisions, creating greater profits and abundance in your life, and finding higher purpose and meaning in all that you do. And the gentleman we have on the show today fits all of those bills and more. So we are thrilled to have Mr. Will Sachs on the show today. He's the founder and CEO of Fulcrum Venture Accelerator, a man of many talents, a musician, a writer. He's about helping people thriving and bringing dreams to life to create a better world to live in. Now, how awesome is that? Currently, he embodies this purpose through this company, Fulcrum Ventures, and also making music, which we're going to hear about. He believes music is a universal language of healing and peace and always has a deep uh, connection as sound as the language of emotion. And I so agree with that. I'm sure everyone knows what their favorite songs or music is and how it stirs the heart or soul. So we're going to talk more about music today. In his previous incarnations, uh, Will is a tech entrepreneur, spending 15 years helping entrepreneurs uh, do funding. He found out how to do funding himself to get uh, raises for his projects. And now he goes on to help others do that. He enjoys writing. Uh, he's uh, uh, very passionate about uh, self-development technology, cultural evolution. I love that word, cultural evolution are those words. Uh, in 2019, he founded Fulcrum Adventure Accelerator. And again, this is a fundraising uh, opportunity for people to partake in for entrepreneurs, raising capital, perfecting their ideas, coming up with great decks, connecting with the right people. Since then, he's worked with over 100 companies of whom have gone now to raise over $40 million collectively amongst them and funding projects for climate, environment, human health, education, and culture, all doing good work stuff. He also enjoys Burning Man. I've not been to Burning Man, but it's on my list. We're going to find out about Burning Man for Mr. Will, uh, quarantine self, self-development, dancing, and things that put him in a dent in the universe and move the human race forward. Now, how much better intro can you have for a guest than that who's trying to move the human race forward? Welcome, Mr. Will. Thank you, Steve. Good to be here. Instead of jumping into tech and jumping into raising millions of dollars, I want to hear about Burning Man now that I'm thinking about it. I was going to save that for later in the show. But for those of you that don't know Burning Man, it's something that's out in uh, the desert. And is it Nevada? Yes, it's in the desert in Nevada. Yeah, and they have it every year and it brings thousands of people that go out and do very deep, universal, connective, crazy, fun, out-of-the-box uh, commune-type, spaceship-type, crazy stuff all in a place of like-minded people. And it draws people from all walks of life, billionaires, uh, teenagers, mothers, uh, kids, wherever it might be. So it's a it's a, it's an amazing vet. So, Will, how did you get connected in Burning Man? And then tell us about your experience. I was on a road trip with my brother, and we were on a site called Couchsurfing. I don't know if people are familiar with that site. It's still, it's still going. It's kind of like like uh, the precursor to Airbnb. And we met this guy on couch surfing because we didn't want to spend money to stay someplace. And he picked us up and brought us back to his apartment. And in his apartment, there was a picture 
of a bunch of people dressed in crazy outfits in the middle of the desert in front of this tricked out car. And I remember I saw that picture and I was like, what is that? <laughs> and, and he said, that was a shot from Burning Man. And I said, what's Burning Man? And he said, oh, it's this thing in the desert that happens every year. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to go. And, uh, and, then my, and then I ended up going in 2000. Actually, I think that trip was like 2005. And then my first burn was 2009. And I've since been back eight times. Oh, wow. So you're a seasoned vet. Well, you're technically a veteran when you've been th 10 times. <laughs> gotcha. Two more to go. So yeah. which of those experiences, uh, I'm sure the first one was mind-blowing. Of the eight of those, does one of them jump to the top of the list of just the most intense breakthrough? Or were they all pretty equivalently epic? I mean, they were all, they were, they, no, not all epic. But I did get married there uh, in 2010. So that that's what sticks out, you know, and I, we had a beautiful 11 year marriage. We met at Burning Man the first day of my first burn and we got married the, at the next year at Burning Man. So I think those two stand out because that really ended up changing my life. We started a tech company together. We lived in five company, five countries. So it kind of set off a whole chapter of my life. Awesome. So if, if someone wanted to attend Burning Man, what would you, uh, encourage them to do an experience of what would you caution them about? Well, go with an open mind. Uh, you got to do some research beforehand. So it's not a festival. You can't buy anything at Burning Man. You can't buy water. You can't buy food. You can't buy anything except for coffee and ice. Yeah, so they make two exceptions. Coffee the necessities of life, coffee and ice. Coffee and ice. So you can buy coffee and ice, but you can't buy anything. I remember my first year we rolled up and there was a guy who had come from France. He flew from France to Reno, rented a car and drove to Burning Man and then got out of the car and said to us, uh, where can I buy food? And, and we're like, oh man, you, you have rude awakening. So he had to get back in his car, leave Burning Man, which he had already just waited in line like eight hours to get in, go buy all the stuff he needed for the week and then come back. So he's not a festival. It's not a festival. You can't buy anything there. It's a, it's its own thing. It's its own culture. And so do your research, go to a regional burn first. There's regional burns all over the world. Um, see if you like it, if you like the vibe and the people and, and then, yeah. And then hit link up with the camp that you like and, and go with the camp. So you have infrastructure and buddies and people to, to live in the desert with for a week. Very cool. And what, what would you say one of the things that you seem like already an open-minded guy, obviously going there, you're open-minded, creating these companies, being out to you're open-minded, but did you have a, a, a an envelope in the brain or body or heart that got opened up that you weren't expecting that you experienced? Totally. Yeah. I remember it, Steve. My first year, I was like, just my heart felt so blown open because this was like, nobody's getting paid to be a Burning Man. And yet it's the biggest and best party in the world that nobody's getting paid to make it happen. Like there's art grants that go to artists, but you know, but, but it's mostly like volunteer it's volunteer, everything. People are just doing it out of a desire to express themselves. And what gets created is truly world-class and magical. So I haven't been back in a few years. I haven't been since 2017, I think it was my last year. So I don't know what it's like now, to be honest. I, I'm hoping to go this year um, and we'll see. Like it, it changed over the, the course of 
from 2009 to 2007. Yeah, and its own evolution, even if its own evolution of being organic, everything changes in the universe, whether it's plants, trees, people, events, organizations. So it's interesting to see how that own life of that. I've not been, but it's on my list. So I'm definitely going to keep it higher on my list to get there. What month is it in again? It's the last week of August. Last week of August. Okay. Yeah. So September, August and September. I think that's Labor Day weekend, right? It ends on Labor Day weekend. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I, I've heard lots about it. And uh, when I saw you were there, I'm like, I got to tap on that one. Yeah. Keep me posted. I will. Maybe I'll see you there in some kind of, uh, uh, I'll have paint face uh, makeup on and like some kind of uh, leather vest or something. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds likely. Yeah. Anyway, let's jump into to this, uh, this world that you have created for yourself. In addition to be uh, an adventure in Burning Man and living in different countries, which we can jump into. Let's talk about your business at hand that we have. So you've created this company um, that is a Fulcrum Accelerator, but this came from something that you um, were trying to figure out yourself with your, I think it was either your fiance or girlfriend at the time, I'm not sure if you were married, when you guys were creating uh, your own need for uh, not only birthing a company, but also if I remember correctly, birthing a baby. Uh, and then that led to ideas, challenges, and connections. And then somehow that evolved into a business. So can you bring us back to that story and fill in the gaps for people? Yeah, we didn't birth our own baby, but we helped other people birth something like 200,000 babies. Um, so yeah, we we fell in love. We met at Burning Man. We fell in love. Uh, we started talking about birth control and she introduced me to fertility charting. And uh, this is my co-founder in Kandara, Katie Bicknell. And... So at first I thought it was total BS because she said, you know, you can chart your fertility signs and as a woman, you can use that data to understand what's going on with your body and avoid pregnancy with the same effectiveness as a birth control pill. And I thought that was total BS. And she gave me, she said, you don't know what you're talking about. Read these books. So she gave me a couple textbooks, Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler and Garden of Fertility by Katie Singer. And I read these books and I just was blown away at all that I didn't know about how the female reproductive system works and the signs that you can track that can give you insight as to what's going on on any given day. And it turns out, if you do the research, if you look into it, that by tracking fertility signs, you can avoid pregnancy with better accuracy than the birth control pill, which is mind-blowing or was mind-blowing to me at the time because I, I said to myself, are you meaning to tell me that there's a free side effect free, uh, super effective form of birth control that nobody knows about. How is that possible? How is that possible? And so we started using it as our method of birth control. <clears throat> and it was beautiful because it gave me insight into what was going on with our combined fertility, with, with Katie's fertility. And for Katie, it helped her understand her body better and not be scared that she was pregnant when she wasn't. It built this connection between her and her body and between me and my partner. And I thought this is this is the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. We should give this as a as a gift to other couples everywhere. And that was how Kendara came into being. And wow. so I remortgaged my house and put all the money in the company bank account and then we set off and then we needed more money. So I ended up raising friends and family round and then a bunch of angel rounds and then venture round and equity crowdfunding we did around. Um, and we ended up 
helping, I think it's over 2 million women now. Um, we sold the company in 2018 and it's still going. Um, and yeah, it was an incredible ride because I went from knowing nothing about business or entrepreneurship really to coming out the other end of this, this experience with Kendara and see, and seeing like, wow, I really learned a lot over that time period and grew a lot as a human. Um, and that's what started Fulcrum. Wow. So Kendara is, uh, people can get that by going on what the app store or where, where are they going to start and find more info about that? Yeah. Just Google it or go in the app store. It's, uh, it's Kendara, Kendara.com K I N D A R A. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's still going, you know? Well, congratulations over 10 years now. And most people have an initial project like that and they have six or eight or 10 crash and burns before they get to the success story you just mentioned. So what did you guys do at the beginning there, looking back on it now that you've helped so many other people, we're going to talk about what you do to help others now. When you didn't know this path prior, like being at Burning Man, you never been to Burning Man before and you knew enough to show up with food and water. So you were a bit prepared versus the Frenchman. So how on this path of, hey, I'm going to learn about women's bodies and cycles, and I'm going to turn this into a company and I need to mortgage my house. That's all a pretty big deal. So how did that, like, did you just take one day at a time and go by the seat of your pants? Did you create a business plan? Did you have uh, it all mapped out and like pre-prepped before you put your first dollar in? Let's talk about that initial first time experience of building a company, ideas of something that didn't exist prior. Yeah. Well, I fell in love. That's, re that's really the answer to your question. I fell in love, you know, Katie and I had just met and I was head over heels. And then I also fell in love with, with the technology and with this idea that you could actually use data to understand what was going on with women's bodies. And, you know, women have always been a big part of my life. I have an incredible mother an incredible sister and, uh, a handful of incredible ants. Um, and I grew up with, with them all. And so when I started learning about how the healthcare system treats women and how many women feel like they're treated like second-class citizens when they interact with the healthcare system, and then adding to that, that we were having this experience of charting our fertility and not using the pill and not using condoms and being able to like, just really live in tune with our bodies. I just thought it was amazing. I fell in love with it and I, and I had a vision for how this could be a thing. And I put everything in my life behind that vision to make it happen. Um, so I think that it's kind of like I burned the boats. Um, and yeah, for sure you did Mark. Yeah. Putting every penny in, no doubt about it. So that vision and then falling in love, I think that's a great statement. I mean, we all, kind of connect falling in love with our, our romantic side that, you know, falling in love with your child, falling in love with a grandchild, falling in love with adventure, falling in love with helping or creating something and falling in love with the product or service in which you're going to do to, uh, help change the world is really key because it can be exhausting and it can be a long trail for people that are trying to make their dream become a reality. So falling in love with it, I think that's a great number one on the list. Uh, are you in love with what you're wanting to create or are you in love with what you're doing? And if you're not, how can you get in love with it? And if not, is there something else you maybe you're in love with that you should be pursuing versus what path you might be on? So this love that you created, did you already have a background prior to this in creating business plans or understanding finance or 
Uh, you obviously had a life before Burning Man and before this first venture. So uh, besides just falling in love, did you create a whole um, the vision in print and a business and a financials around it? Or did that come later? Yeah. So the first question, what did I do before? I studied engineering in in school and I, we built a solar powered race car and we raced it from Chicago to Los Angeles. And that was my first experience of building something from nothing and having a vision and seeing it in reality. So that gave me the the confidence, I think, to say, hey, we could do this. We could. We also built a hardware. I, I don't know if I talked about that yet, but we built a, we made it, this This is a thermometer that we made. No, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're, I talked about that. It's called Wink. You can see it, it winks. We made it look like makeup so that it could sit on a woman's bedside table and be inconspicuous. Nobody would know if she was trying to conceive or not. So, you know, we made this, this Bluetooth thermometer um, that was a beautiful product. And that was, that was Kendara's ultimate revenue model. Um, so anyways, a background in engineering, solar car, that helped. And then in terms of like business plan, um, the business plan in terms of tech startups is kind of dead in a way. Uh, which is a ridiculous thing to say because I can see the value in a business plan, but typically you make some slides and you start showing them to people and you, you get feedback. Um, so that's what, that's what we did. And then did you get, um, buy-in right away from people that you were talking to? You said you mortgage your house, friends and family, obviously friends and family already know you. So they're a little bit more empathetic to your crazy idea that you do, um, and then when you started speaking to your first stranger to pitch, did they instantly get it? Or did you have to refine your pitch or deck multiple times before you got to the sixth or eighth or 10th person that finally got it? Yeah, it took some refining because I was super green. Katie was super green. Like we didn't, I had some business experience. Like I had a lighting company with a friend that was kind of not really doing much. And, and I had an engineering background with, which helped, but. I didn't know anything about how to build the tech startup really. And we got into the Founder Institute Accelerator when we, we moved to New York in 2011, I think it was, 2010. And we got into an accelerator program. Their first class, actually, I think in New York. So it probably wasn't that competitive at that time because it was their first one. So so we got into that and that helped a lot because that, that really schooled us and everything we didn't know that we didn't know. Um, and then out of that, we raised our friends and family round, which was $100,000, um, which felt like a lot of money at the time. Yeah. It was, you know, and, uh, and then we got into another accelerator, which was a hardware accelerator called Hacks. Hacks, they're called now. At that point, they were called Hackcelerator, but now they're called Hacks. Sean O'Sullivan and Cyril Eveswheeler were doing this program in China. So we, they flew us over there and we learned about hardware and manufacturing so those accelerator programs played a big role because we got to learn from people who had done this before and, and knew what they were doing. Yeah, that's great. Well, obviously you have um, adventure spirit. You obviously have uh, burning man intentions of uh, having open mind and being creative and being prepared. And I love the thing about reaching out to others who help you know what you don't know. And all of us have that. We all, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And then when we know something, then we're not skilled enough at it until we practice or get the right intel to help us get efficient at it. So on these accelerator programs, and then that led you guys into um, 
building the company, raising more capital, and eventually you raised more and then you sold the company. So you had this sequence and you ended up creating after that, or maybe it was during, I'm not sure, um, your Fulcrum Accelerator itself. So you obviously were impressed enough with accelerators that you benefited from, and you must have taken what you liked and didn't like from those programs, but you've created a Fulcrum Accelerator. Talk to us about that and then tell us about your five-step process that you uh, like to take people through. On from capital and preparation and et cetera, et cetera. So let's start with how that went from, I'm going to sell a tech startup company uh, to I'm going to create a technology learning environment online to help others. So maybe talk to us about that transition. Yes, certainly. So the sale of Kendara was a rough transaction. And, <clears throat> and after that, I, I, you know, I was on the bench just, I, I, I felt very burned out and didn't know what I was going to do next. I wasn't in love yet with, with anything next. So I thought, well, why don't I create a program for founders so they can avoid uh, running out of money and always feeling cash strapped and, or just not succeeding at raising money at all. Maybe I can create a program that will help other entrepreneurs have an easier time build their companies because Kendara was, was very hard for me. It was my first one. And it was just, I made a lot of mistakes and so I did this 24-hour startup competition, which was a competition to create a startup in 24 hours, which was really cool. Um, and I decided, okay, I'm going to make this program. I called it Get Funded. And I said, I'm going to make this program during this 24-hour startup. So you know, it started at noon on a Friday, I think. And so I sat down and I started mapping out and I was live streaming the whole thing. You can actually watch it online somewhere. Um, so I was live streaming as I was mapping out, like, okay, what needs to be in the program and how's it going to be structured and what's the information I want to transmit. And then I got the outline done and then I started recording. So I, I live recorded the first module. Um, and that turned into a six module program called Get Funded that I think is the best early stage fundraising program anywhere because it's like 16 hours of me breaking down every step of the process for founders so that they can understand what to do next, what to do next, what to do next. Um, and that was the genesis of Fulcrum because I started working with founders, taking them through the program. And we did uh, our first program in 2020, I think, which was just with nine founders. And that was a success. So then we did another one and that was a success. So we did another one. So we just, we started doing more of these programs. I started bringing on some staff and we rebranded from get funded to fulcrum um, and now we run this accelerator program for founders who are raising seed capital to help them save the two or three or four years that it took me to learn how to do that effect efficiently and effectively uh, and allow them to learn it in three months that's awesome well you know the theme here is you know, creating products and services that you personally need or would benefit from and sharing it with the world, you know, your own uh, personal relationship of uh, controlling birth control and trying to find more natural ways to do that, creating a product from it, and then trying to find out what you were passionate and love about again and creating saying, God, I had troubles on the path getting started. I'm going to create this piece. So I think that's a great message to all of us, whether we're running companies now, creating companies, continuing to create products and services that you yourself or your family members would buy, utilize, or purchase and benefit from uh, in business or life. So having that, that there's a real need and that you're attached to it, I think helps keep the fuel in the fuel tank 
with that love and that passion moving forward because it is a rough ride being an entrepreneur or anything in creating something that has a high bar that you have to climb up to will have its its it, it's you know it's it's challenges and you know, I have a quote that I wrote down in my first book that I wrote and it's about breaking through resistance and breaking through challenges and we all have them and anytime you have a massively big idea we get excited and we get full of energy and we're ready to go and all of a sudden we get green light green light green light and then we start getting red lights and bricks upside the heads and then there's all this resistance that happens and a lot of times that slows people down or stops them in the track and what I found from my own path is every time I break through those uh, resistances and get on the other side of it which is usually fear somehow involved in that block on the other side of that is great power. So I always say breaking through resistance is the price you pay for the dream you say you want. And you know, if you're creating a business plan on paper in your mind or wherever you might do it, I actually talk to entrepreneurs about building in what are those breakdowns? What are those resistance? And how is your mindset and your energy and your emotion going to deal with that and look at it as a gift versus, oh shit, I can't believe this is happening now which is our, sometimes our first reaction. So on, on the other side of this great power, so congrats on maneuvering through that. Uh, we only have about three or four minutes left in this segment, but I wanted to ask you, you made a comment about um, uh, the, the first startup was uh, challenging on you and you were a bit burnt out. Outside looking in, when you hear the story of um, idea, excitement, love, friends and family, raising capital, making more money, then selling it, that trajectory sounds like, wow, what a great success story, which I'm sure there was a lot of that in it. But also people don't always understand or hear or see the other side of it, the, the, the brutal side of it that helped get there. So I'm just curious, the, what was the, the most brutal part on you of get, bringing into its, its sale? Was it because of dealing with the investors who were originally in that were a bit more greedy at the end? Was it that the right buyer that you brought was not what you thought? What was, what was the tail end that made it so brutal? Yeah. Well, I want to be a little uh, judicious because I don't want to like point, you know, I just want to keep everyone's privacy intact. But I burned myself out as CEO. I had never been CEO before. I didn't really know how to delegate. I didn't really know. I didn't understand that your job as a CEO is to build the team, to make sure that everyone understands what the vision is and to make sure there's always money in the bank. Um, and so that was a big part of what made it difficult is I was just mentally and emotionally in a very tough spot because I've been working myself above my limit for years. Um, and then, you know, the, the investors and the board got in a fight and, and so it was just challenging. Somebody, you know, somebody involved had a, a very dire health diagnosis that came into the mix. And so it was a messy situation. I was a new CEO. And um, so it was hard on me because it was it was our baby. And it felt like our baby um, wasn't being cared for the way that, that we wanted it to be cared for. And of course, everybody will have their perspective and their side of the story. But that's what it was like for me. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I, and I know that all paths in life, whether it's our personal lives, our school lives, our professional lives, they all have this mix of sweetness and uh, saltiness and light and dark. And, you know, when we can r realize that those are part of all experiences and everything changes, uh, you know, helping get your mindset and your attitude and your skills intact in, in to be able to handle those things when they happen 
because some of them you just can't anticipate what they are or come out of the blue. But we know that it will happen. Shit always happens. It just does. So prepping for that and knowing about it and having a program like you have with Fulcrum is great. So we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about Fulcrum and the five-step process and how you feel you have accelerated the learning for businessmen and women who are wanting to take an idea or product and get it to market and how you feel that your program does that. And then how have you continued to follow other purposes and passions that you have, i.e. music and other things uh, as hobbies and or uh, businesses. So stay tuned. We're going to be coming back here with Mr. Will Sachs talking about life, music, love, baby birthing of companies, or maybe even baby birthing in general. But come back and uh, check us out. We'll be back in just a few minutes on the Alchemy of Business Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Alchemy of Business Show. Thank you again for listening in or viewing in. However you got here, we appreciate you being on. And again, if you like the content you're hearing on the Alchemy of Business Show, we'd love for you to subscribe. Go to our uh, either YouTube or Apple uh, page and subscribe. And if you uh, feel inclined to make comments, we'd love that as well. And if there's any other shows you want to see in the future with other topics, make note and uh, we'll put that in our future show list. But thank you for listening in. We're going to carry on here with Mr. Will Sachs, who is a serial entrepreneur, a musician, a, a baby birther of companies and uh, ideas and helping others do the same. So, Will, we, we left off at the at the show about your 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 venture here, about you created um, a successful tech startup that had bumps and hurdles that had pleasures and pains along the way. You've created this training and education company that helps uh, entrepreneurs um, reduce the time and friction that it takes to get their their idea or baby from their head onto slides and into voice and into presentations and then hopefully into funding and then having the mentorship to help guide and, and direct in that way. Um, so let's talk about if someone did jump into your Fulcrum program that they can find online, what would it be that they would experience while they were in your program? Yeah. So if, if somebody applies and they get in, then it's a three-month program and we take them through a set process of, of fundraising development. So we, we have a five-step process at, at Fulcrum and it's based on an agricultural metaphor. So the stages are tilling, planting, watering, harvesting, and closing. And we walk founders through each of those stages and help them understand what they need to be doing as they are actually working on their raise. So we look for founders who've already been successful elsewhere in their lives, have already raised some money, some capital, and are now raising a bigger round and want to do it without any wasted time or effort. And so inside the program, it's not an educational experience uh, as much as it is an actual experience of doing the thing. Like we want people to be working on their actual fundraise as they go through our program so that at the end of the program or shortly thereafter, they've got cash in the bank. That's wonderful. Well, we'll encourage people to check out your your website, we will have it in the show notes. Noel has a slide up here right now. Uh, you can also get a free ebook on your site about how to meet and close angel investors and how to connect with people. I downloaded that myself and there's some great content in there. Uh, and I know you've helped people raise over $40 million to date of this learning, helping them get to the right people. What were some of the products and services that your company and training has helped others with? What are some of the birthing of companies that existed in these products? Yeah, well, uh, some really cool, beautiful stuff. So there's a company called Nori that is helping solve climate change by paying farmers to switch to regenerative agriculture. 
And when those farmers switch to regenerative agriculture, the soil uh, sequesters carbon from the air. So it pulls carbon dioxide out of the air and stores it in the soil. And they've monetized that using blockchain and are now uh, selling those credits to companies who want to reduce their carbon footprint. So that's a beautiful one because there, Paul uh, Gamble, the CEO, his goal is to reverse climate change. And so they're they're on a mission to do that. And that was a really uh, beautiful and uh, gratifying one to work on because they have such a, a wonderful mission. Um, another company called Plannery is uh, helping healthcare workers uh, get rid of their debts, which is a, a, another beautiful one. We've had ed tech companies go through uh, health technology companies go through. So all kinds of stuff. Well, I love it. I love that it's purpose-driven products and services too that you're working on. And that's what I focus on in my business, the Alchemy Advisors. I love helping people figure out how to make money and streamline and be more profitable. But I really like helping focus on purpose, purpose-driven businesses, purpose-driven people that are doing good things in the world. We have enough stuff out there, plastics floating in the ocean. So the more stuff that we can do to build companies that help with our bodies, to help with our mindsets, to help with the environment, to help with education, plotting that because uh, that is that is great. So I love that work. Um, on your journey here, um, you also obviously continue to have a, uh, a a life and a personal life and you have passions and purposes. And you made a comment on the first part of the show about when you're the CEO, you didn't know what you didn't know, but you realize it's about you know getting the vision out there, keeping people on track with the vision, making sure there's money in the bank, keeping the product and culture the way it was intended to go and keeping that streamlined. But it can be sure leading to burnout. I know many executives, whether they're in management, leadership, corporate America, entrepreneurs, anybody who's at a high leadership level, very common to give more and more and more to our craft and what we do and sometimes burn ourselves out. And I talk a, a lot with my clients about what I call the four Bs, having a balance in body, being, bonds, and business and making sure that there's equal time for all of those and actually having a scorecard to make sure that we're filling up our tank as, as much in our being and our bodies uh, and our bonds as much as we are in our businesses. So um, in finding that balance for yourself, you obviously have gone on and done other cool things. One of the passions I know you have is music. So um, is do you consider music a hobby? Do you consider it a vocation? Do you consider it something that's also a business venture? Let's talk about your passion for music for a few minutes. Great question, Steve. I think I consider it a calling. Yeah. And so that's something that I've been coming to over the last few years. I and do you notice when, when I don't make music, life starts to feel uh, gray. Oh, I love that. I, I consider it a calling. And when I don't make music, life starts to feel gray. So any of you that are listening it in, what can you relate that to in your own lives? Where are you being called? And where are you in your life feeling gray in a void when you did not feel gray prior? Where did you feel the most colorful, the most light, the most um, 3D uh, kind of animation in your life? What was that? Was it music? Was it running? Was it reading? Was it cooking? Was it adventure? What might that be? And there's usually a spark in there that can lead to passions that then become a calling into bigger things in life that can sometimes lead to business, but sometimes it just leads to more passion in your artistic view of how you show up in the world. So when you say calling, who do you, what do you, and how do you describe what is calling you? 
Um, so I'm going to throw that into a spirituality word. When someone says they're calling, to me, that is something higher than yourself or outside of yourself or within yourself that's in unison with something else. Calling. So how do you define what is calling you? And do you call that spirituality? Do you call that something else? And how does that intertwine with your passion about music and uh, not staying in the gray? Yeah, great question. You know, what I notice is that there's aliveness and excitement there for me. And so I think what's calling is that aliveness. I have I have had a few mystical experiences around music where I get messages about about music and about pursuing music as as a big part of my life. So it's something that I'm dancing with right now. But what I definitely notice is there's an excitement and an aliveness there that that doesn't that I don't feel that same sense of uh, of aliveness in that in that same way elsewhere, except for maybe when I'm working with founders one on one. There's like a, sometimes there's a, a real sense of aliveness there also. So. It's interesting, like as a CEO, I think people do the CEO job in a lot of different ways. And some people love certain parts of it. Like some people probably love marketing. Some people love sales. Some people love product. Um, some people love the creativity of it. And, and so for me, it's been a real process to figure out and identify like, where is my energy? What kind of activities magnify my energy? And what kind of activities sap my energy? And can I design my business and my life so that I get to do the stuff that gives me energy more than the stuff that saps my energy? Because what I did at Kandara was all the stuff that sapped my energy. I ended up with no energy. That ended up being a tricky situation for the business to navigate through. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so do you define um, your own definition of spirituality as energy? Do you describe it as a religion? Do you describe it as a mindset or do you just leave it very organic and don't have any definition around it? Yeah, I, I define it as something, belief in something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And that, and that's how I have, have come to uh, define for myself is I realize that there's definitely, definitely something higher than ourselves and has massive intelligence way beyond the human condition, but that we are a part of that. So I have come to believe that if God, which I choose to use the word God, is energy, and it really is just if God is energy and God is in all things, animals, plants, planets, air, stars, I mean, that's the, the nucleus. Of, and the sum of all that is the essence of God. I don't personally look at God as in a white robe on a cloud somewhere and I'm going to heaven per se. I look at energy as a, it's like I look at all the AI that's happening in the world right now and artificial intelligence and technology. And we're so fascinated by what that can do and how that can work. And that really only scratches the tiny surface of the kindergartenness of our existence that exists in the entire universe. It, but it, it, it's a manifestation of that energy. So for me, you know, energy and God are all connected. And so to me, God is the sum of all that is because all things are energy and all things are made of God. And I feel, I feel like when we're tapping into our passion, tapping into our calling, tapping into what makes the life feel more colorful versus gray, 
I find that that's where people do get most enthused, do get most encouraged, and do have a a drive to want to do more and share that in the world. So uh, music is a great way to do that. I don't know anyone that doesn't like music. Uh, everyone in some fashion around the planet loves music and multiple universal music types. Um, so what is it about music um, that when you're playing music and you're sharing music, what does it do for you in your state of consciousness? Where does it take you from and to? Uh, it takes me into a state of play. And what I, the one thing I love about music is that you play music. You know, you, it's, it's like you play soccer or it's a, there's a, there's a playfulness to music and it's free form. You don't know what's going to happen. I do a lot of improvisational stuff. So we do live improvised ecstatic dances here in Nashville where the musicians don't know what's, what we're going to play. The dancers don't know what we're going to play. Nobody knows what we're going to play until we start playing. And then it's a game of staying attuned to one another and try to keep the train on the tracks um so there's that state of play that i love and i think that is that is what i love the most about it and i remember reading uh nonviolent communication by marshall rosenberg if oh yeah that's a great book and great book. he's in that book he says don't do anything that isn't play which stuck with me because is- you can always have that context of play yeah and he went with that attitude into countries that were war-ridden, into prisons, yeah. into school systems, and used his um, his communication styles to teach people how to tap into play, but also how to have a nonviolent communication style in helping people out, uh, open up. We're going to put that book in the show notes. I hadn't thought about that book in a while, uh, but one of my um, uh, friends uh, and associates who's a therapist recommended that to me, uh, and it's a great, powerful book. I think I listened it to on audio audiobooks as well. Um, so it takes you into this state. And so in a state of play, and I think for all of us, if we can find out how to bridge the gap between our work and our passion and what we're doing to have a sense of play to it, that we are playing entrepreneur, we are playing executive, we are playing teacher, we are playing uh, uh, doctor, that there is a sense of that. If we can get to that mindset and find ways to incorporate that into your practices to keep it lively and to keep it uh, engaging, I think is awesome. Uh, and the, the music that you play, how would you describe the type of music um, that you play um, in, in general? Is it usually the dance um, uh, type stuff or is it a mix of all different types of music? Yeah, I do a few different things, but uh, what I love is psychedelic funk or organic house music, maybe the intersection of psychedelic funk and organic house. Um, if anybody wants to check it out, I, I'm on Spotify. Kukaro is the name of the of my project. K-U-K-A-R-O. Um, and that's a Micronesian word that means to relax into the flow of life. Oh, I love that. You can check Spell that it out. again. Spell it again for me. Kukaro. K-U-K-A-R-O. Relax into the energy and flow of life. Is that what you said? Relax into the flow of life. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something we're all uh, intending on, focused on doing, just being in flow and being in uh, the mainstream of our energy of what we tap into. So I love that. That's a great name. But we'll make sure we get that in the show notes so people can check out your music on that. Do you see your music um, taking more of a large role in your life, in your time and energy uh, of the projects you have at hand? Yeah, I do uh, over the next few years. Um, I also have a project called William Sage, which is which is more of an acoustic, like me, you know, with a guitar singing love songs. 
Um, and then I have a project called Soul Bloom, which is music for relaxing to or for psychedelic therapy. Um, so I've been exploring over the last few years these different genres and these different uh, flavors and vibes. And the more I do it, the more it's like a self-development practice for me. There's something really incredible about the artistic process that focuses the mind and the body and the soul all on the same thing. And I think it's also available in business uh, if you can get out of like the busy work. Yeah, totally agree. Well, I think what you described there, all of, the, the, all of your passions around music is a clear example to me of spirituality uh, and, and how it works of turning it over to higher uh, places, allowing it to flow through you creating joy for yourself and others, feeling enthused by it, uh, feeling called to higher places, having flexibility in what you're doing with that music. I think all of us in our businesses and our lives, finding that mindset of how to incorporate that in is possible and is doable and is uh, something I think we all as humans strive for. So I would encourage all of us to find more of our own music, whatever that might be, incorporating into our own flow of business and life. Um, so let's talk um, about on this path of music, business, tech startups. I know you have uh, some events coming up in June as well, where you're going to carry on with uh, some of the work that you do. So can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, for sure. We're, uh, we are launching our seventh cohort of companies in June, the end of June. So we're currently uh, running our sixth cohort right now, and we've just passed the 100 company mark. So that's an exciting milestone for us. And at the end of June, we are going to be choosing the companies in our sixth or in our seventh cohort. So we're launching that first week of July and that'll run through the summer. Well, Will, I love that. Again, all this passion you have around music and it's so aligned to uh, having uh, entrepreneurs and people find what their own flow of energy is and what kind of music they love. But again, and tying this into a business standpoint, finding ways to experiment, to explore, to not being afraid to take risk. And you were saying, you know, on one of the show in the shows that you guys do, the dancers and others don't know what's going to come out as the music. And sometimes I'm sure you don't either if it's organic and improv, but people just flow with that and you find what works and the flow of happening. And a lot of times that's what business is. You try things and you try things. You're, you have to be open and look and see what, what's working and what's not and not be afraid to explore. So in this adventurous way that you take as play in your music, with entrepreneurs or others listening uh, on the show, what would you advise them in ways that they can continue to incorporate play into their work, uh, into their craft, into their calling? And what have you done yourself in when it does get rough and it does get tough and tumble? What is it you have done to help uh, maneuver through that maybe more swiftly than you used to? Yeah, well, I think entrepreneurs and this is a practice that I'm currently engaged in is just starting to pay attention to the things that light me up and the things that dim me down. And so entrepreneurs, everyone can start to attune and become aware of what are the things that I, that light me up and that give me energy. And what are the things that take my energy and end, end up with me feeling drained? And I think, I think that that's life speaking to us. Like that, my personal belief is that we each have a a soul, and that the stuff that lights us up is our soul expressing itself, and the stuff that drains us is should be lighting up somebody else's soul. 
Yeah, I love that. Those are going to be some great, great quotes scrolling across the screen. I can see it now on our clips. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and and I've done a lot of business reading over the years, building Kendara. I was constantly trying to understand how to do, how to build a tech startup and how to be a CEO and how to be a leader. And it seems like it all kind of boils down to finding out what you're really good at and doing that, the stuff that gives you energy and that is a value to the business and then finding other people who are great at doing everything else and building a team of all-stars who can execute together and when you think about team sports like business is definitely a team sport and if you think about soccer or football or basketball they're like there's different positions on the court in basketball and in in football and i, I played rugby in college and or sorry in high school and there's very different positions. There's the giant big guys that are in the scrum. And then there's the little wiry guys that are running in the back. And there's the dexterous scrum half. And there's just different positions for everybody. And so I think business is very similar to that. You got to find what positions do you need and who is going to love being in that position, doing what they love doing in Excel. So that's what I... That's the nut I'm trying to crack currently at Fulcrum because we're growing. And it's the nut that I coach all my coaching clients to crack because they're all building companies. Um, and then there's like this element of storytelling that comes into fundraising, which is actually my favorite part of the whole thing. Um, because there's a big part of my essence that is a storyteller. And this morning we had a session with all our founders and when I get to work with a founder on their story and on their, like how to make, how to tell their story in a way that's compelling, that lights them up and that's going to light up investors, that lights me up. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, getting your story across and utilizing that, it is about story. I don't care if you're watching a movie, if you're listening to music, if you're watching a TV show, if you're hearing someone tell a great story about some adventure they were on. Someone who can weave in a story of pulling people in and, and getting points that connects with the audience or the other person you're with is key. And there's no difference with that on a deck. I mean, you're connecting and trying to get your story that you're so passionate about to others. So having a great deck and making sure you understand the points around it and why it would matter and where your passion comes out. Storytelling is awesome. I have a friend and associate of mine who we've also had on the show before, Patrick Combs. And he does a lot of things in entrepreneurship, but he's also an author, writer and different things. But he helps people write their origin stories where he'll interview people for hours and then he'll boil down and help write their origin story. And the origin story becomes the essence of either some of the stuff on their website or in decks and things that they're doing. So storytelling is is such an art. It is like writing music or playing music. And I agree with you 100 percent on that. So figuring out what our own stories are and seeing why others might care about that and, and sharing your story in such a way that pulls people in. And the people that you want, like-minded people in, as we're talking about energy, sometimes you can raise money and it's like, oh God, I have money, but I'm going to have to sacrifice my plan or my soul or whomever to get this money. So a lot of times it's realizing telling your story to the right people and you're connecting energy-wise with attracting the right people back is crucial. Um, so I think that is a great message. I love what you said there about how music is storytelling. And yeah. what makes what makes a piece of music compelling versus a piece of music that's not compelling? I think on the one hand, it's the listener. Like some people love death metal and some people hate death metal and some people love house music and some people hate house music. And people love classical. So there's 
there's like a matching problem there to solve. Um, but then within a given genre, what makes one piece of classical music compelling versus another? It's it's the craft of the storytelling uh, in the mix. And so you actually just connected some dots for me, Steve, that in the in the realm of tech startups, there there's like a music that can be played by the founders to have have their the their story be compelling and it's fun to help people find that because it's 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 like you have to connect with their essence and and the the world and connect those two things their essence and the world the market or whatever to find like is this compelling and if so how do we make it like what's compelling about it and if it's not compelling what do we need to change to make it compelling yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great metaphor to end on uh, because the shows we're going to wrap up here the show. But the the music element that we've been weaving through that I think is so true. Music is storytelling me whether it's just instrumental with no words at all, and there's the the feeling of the classical or jazz or uh, whatever you might be listening to that's even no words to it. Uh, you the, the the music automatically starts making me play scenarios or stories or memories in my mind, and it creates and invokes a certain story that I feel when I'm done with that song. And clearly, if, if there are lyrics to music, then clearly the singer-songwriter uh, or artist has tried to take you on a journey of whatever that might be about love or heartbreak or excitement or dance. But even that song means thousands of things to different people, even though it has the same lyrics, because it's connecting the story and memories of other things in their lives. So I think our products and services and what we do as companies or startups or raising money, it really is about letting people hear your music in a way that is most authentic to you, but is also most inviting to others and is more inclusive than exclusive and uh, how you're approaching it. So I love the work that you're doing and helping people not only find ways to bring their babies to birth, to raise money, because money does make the world go around, no matter if you're a nonprofit or you're a startup or you're uh, the government, we all need money and money helps, money is energy. And since the universe is all made up of energy and currency, Money is currency, just like electricity flows. So I love that you're helping people find ways to create money and currency to take their dream and their baby to the next level, and that you're continuing to follow your passions and, and find ways that light you up uh, and help you tell your own music. So thank you for being on the show and thrilled with what you're doing. Do you have any closing thoughts or parting words for the uh, audience members? Yeah, I guess I guess my parting words are just to try to summarize our conversation today, Steve, is you know, where in life do you find yourself in play and, and how can you expand that area of your life so that you're more in play? There's that quote, I forget who it is, but it's don't ask yourself what the world needs, but ask yourself what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who've come alive. And I think once you're in a privileged position, which many of us are in the West, that there's a lot of truth to that because when you're alive, there's like life is flowing through you. So how can each of us let life flow through more. Yeah, absolutely. Let life flow through you more in your own music style. So that's a great way to end the show. So thank you very much, Mr. Will, for jumping on the show and sharing your wisdom and your passion. And we will all tap into your music as well on Spotify. And hopefully some of you uh, on the uh, listening or viewing here will check out Fulcrum um, Accelerator and see about getting to some of his programs. We're going to put the show notes uh, with the links. And uh, we appreciate, as always, you listening in on the Alchemy of Business show. We are 
really purpose-driven ourselves about helping people make wiser decisions and really figuring out what is your highest, highest purpose and where does your music play the most and where do you light up the most in doing so. Thank you again for listening in. And if you like the show, please make a comment or subscribe. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. And that concludes this episode of The Alchemy of Business with your host, Steve Rogers. If you found value in today's broadcast, please consider liking, subscribing, sharing with friends, and leaving a review. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next Thursday for another episode. Be blessed, and see you soon.